0: Well, last week, if uh, if you weren't here, just to kind of set the table a little bit for this morning, um, last week, just felt preempted uh, last Sunday morning to deviate from basically what I'm going to share this morning to talk about uh, just the sudden nature by which God moves sometimes and that God, in His suddenness, Loves to interrupt really history, and we saw evidences of that all the way through the Old Testament and how suddenly God would move in power, and in the New Testament, likewise, and today. And I just gave you a couple of examples of what that might look like, but oftentimes, what we do is we see the sudden nature of God's moving, you know, in magnificent things, or at least seemingly magnificent. Sometimes though, I mentioned that we we sometimes can miss even the what might appear to be small things, but are nevertheless uh symptomatic of god's sudden power and I did mention last week that one of the things that i that I really fear for the church in the West is that we we tend to uh, we, and i said it in more or less the same kind of terms that one of my fears is that we We rob, in a sense, God, not that we really can rob God, but we make God out to be a powerless God, and by no means is God powerless, and um, theology is good, and those of you who know me know that I do have a love of theology, but that I always, uh, I I hope to live by the, uh, the, uh, the principle that in order for our theology to be valid, our theology has to breathe. And it has to have life, and it has to be life-giving. And if, if our theology doesn't do that, then my suggestion would be that we have to find life. And if it's the wrong theology, find some that does give you life. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of theologies out there that I think might do more to um, rob than to give. And uh, we, really, we, we preach a risen Jesus, We preach a Jesus that has the power to deliver us from things like depression. And it seems in this society that we live in where we've never been more connected, so to speak. We live in a society that's so connected, but yet a society that has never felt individualistically so alone as this one. And... uh, I'm amazed in in my field of work the uh, uh the amount of young people that I see who suffer from depression is amazing it's amazing all kinds of mental illness but depression is is really the illness of our culture and even though uh, we can text uh, instantly our friends uh, and seemingly have Wondrous ways to get instant communication. Uh, We nevertheless yet seem so alone. And this morning, uh, I want to uh, pick up where we left off to continue to talk about this powerful God that we have that can overcome depression, that can heal not just our minds, but also our bodies. He does all kinds of things. right? He sets us free. If you're a Christian here this morning... You've experienced the power of God. You've experienced His power. And this morning we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 41. And uh, we're going to lay the foundation for next week because next week Joe is going to be speaking into and uh, talking about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's one of the, the stuff we're talking about today and the stuff we're talking about next week, we cannot do too much of. You know it's it's really important that we remember that God moves by his spirit and that his spirit is active and his spirit is alive and that we as Christians have opportunity to be able to live as people of the spirit. And so this morning we're going to take a look at this piece of scripture and a few others in addition to it and so we're going to take a look at first of all Acts chapter 2 And we're going to read it together, and then we're going to take off from there. So I'm going to start, and Joe's already prayed that I would be anointed, so I'm trusting God for that this morning. It says this, Now when they had heard this, and so what did they hear? Well, I'm not going to repeat Ryan's scriptures from a couple of weeks ago, but the bottom line is they had heard what they had done. They had heard that they were responsible for Jesus' death. Although we all know that Jesus gave himself up, but they were, the Jews had heard uh, what they were responsible for. And Peter had given ample evidence of that, plus ample evidence of the fact that all of this was in God's plan. He said, when well, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, And there were at it that day about 3,000 souls. Pretty amazing piece of scripture. Pretty amazing account of what's going on. And we all know that what had preceded this sermon by Peter and this exhortation by Peter was what was known as Pentecost and what's known as Pentecost. Pentecost, historically speaking, um, symbolically relates to the Jewish harvest festival called Shavuot, now, I probably am pronouncing that wrong, but I make no apologies because I'm not Jewish. But it commemorates, that festival commemorates God giving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai 50 days after the Exodus. So 50 days, Penta, 50 days after the Exodus, after the children of Israel were given permission to leave and then God delivered them from, from Egypt. Fifty days after that, the Ten Commandments, or the Law, is given uh, to Moses. So the Exodus, we know, occurred on what central Jewish holiday? It occurred, and, and we celebrate it, they celebrate it. It's called what? The Passover. And so the Passover occurred. The Passover occurred. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit is poured out on this occasion, 50 days after Passover again, but on Passover, the permanent sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was made. Isn't it interesting? Coincidence? I think not. And so we see this amazing birth of the church that occurs on Pentecost when God's Spirit is poured out to a very special occasion. It's a demonstration of God's power and we're going to see here what happens in these verses and what Peter refers to as this promise. And so first of all, we want to talk about, if you're into putting 1, 2, and 3 down, this is the promise realized. And we're talking here about the fact that all of a sudden, in an anointed suddenly, the moment, this moment of the suddenly, the dots are connected for the Jews. The dots are connected all of a sudden. All of a sudden, they recognize, for the first time, this pattern. They say, oh my goodness. And it's under this amazing anointing of the Holy Spirit that Peter brings this message. And for the first time, the scales of their eyes are lifted. And their response is what? Their response is, what do we do? They're convicted They're convicted of their sin. They're convicted of their need for God. The fact that, oh my goodness, you mean for the past three years we've unjustly persecuted and unjustly spoken against the very Lamb of God who was sent to us? We've spoken against Him? It's in fact what they did. And so Peter unpacks the truth about Jesus. This amazing Amazing preacher who, 50 days earlier, you remember, was cowering, had no guts, no courage, denied Jesus repeatedly, even to a little girl, didn't have the courage to say anything. And all of a sudden, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's preaching to thousands of people from a balcony. That, folks, is a demonstration of the power of God. See, the Jews are for the first time seeing their plight. They're seeing their sin. They're seeing what they hadn't seen before. All of a sudden, their eyes are opened, their ears are opened. And they're supernaturally recognizing their need for a Savior, their need to say, you know what, we can't do this by ourselves anymore. We can't, we can't attempt to please God by our good works any longer. One moment they had no understanding and the next instant they did. It's only God's spirit that can do that. It's only God's spirit that can flick the light on. It's only God's spirit that can that can help us to understand. I when I was in university I had professors that studied the Bible incessantly You know, as literature, and never really... I mean, I wasn't a Christian myself, but we used to talk about all the ins and outs of of the Scriptures, but it was pretty evident that there was no understanding for salvation. There was no revelation given to them. Not that they never did get revelation for salvation, but the Holy Spirit is the only one that can illuminate the mind. And all of a sudden, they, they had this. They said, oh, what do we have to do? And Peter, of course, you know, says... Well, like you crucified the Savior. And so, in order for them to believe, Peter calls them to repent of their sin and to believe, to have faith to believe. And repentance, repentance, as we see at the, re- the end of the, the section of verses, 3,000 of them actually turned from their sin and believed. 3,000. That's pretty good suddenly. It's a pretty good indication of God's power. It reminds me, it reminds me of the, the church I told you about last week. You know, one week they're 250, the next week they're 1,500. Just a couple years ago. like that, That's the kind of suddenly this is. Now this is a special occasion. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, it's the launch of the church. But I don't want to take away from the the powerful impact that this makes, because you know the, the reality is is God still moves in power like this today? I remember um, on August the twelfth, nineteen eighty two, I was a a very proud and arrogant university student, thinking I knew everything. I just finished my third year of university, and. Uh, I thought I had a good handle on reality because I was a pagan and I loved to worship the moon. I would have had a good time last night. <laughs> I think I might have told some of you before we used to get out there during the spring solstice and and dance around together. I won't go any further. But the moon is out there, it's full, and we're having a good old time. It's as spiritual as you can get. I thought I had it all together. I thought I knew everything. And I was so proud. And I remember, all of a sudden, I was at work one evening. And a friend of mine came in who I remembered from my days in St. John. And he, was, and he was in grade, or he uh, left school after grade 8. And he had a pretty rough upbringing and, and uh, worked for the rest of the time that I, that I knew him. And uh, he came in and uh, we decided, I I decided, I said, hey, let's go have some beers. And so we went down to the Rolling Keg Tavern and talked his ear off. And then all of a sudden I said, you know, I've been thinking about God lately. And I don't even know why I said that, to be honest. But he says, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, what's that? What's that look like? You know? And he started to talk to me, and I started asking questions. And, and it was an amazing experience, because in an instant, as he was speaking, this guy who had a grade 8 education, he bypassed with his words my mind and the Holy Spirit illuminated my heart. And I asked the same question these Jews did. You know, it's like, what do I got to do? And he was so shocked at my question because he didn't really, I think, after he told me, he said, I didn't even expect you to, to say what do I have to do. So I didn't really know what you had to do. And so we just, he just did what, Came naturally, and he says, "Well, I think you should probably kneel." I was in his, in his father's, Chevy van, with the shag carpet on the inside and the whole bit, and we were down on the river, on Queen Street, right in front of the Robbie Burns statue, and the doors were open. It was a wonderful summer night. And he says, "I think you should probably kneel down." And I said, "Okay." Well, now what? He says, "Well," he said, "Why don't we just? Why don't you just pray?" That God would forgive your sins, and and that you could ask, ask ask Jesus to come into your life. And I said, okay. And so I said, what do we, like is it, this okay? It's like brothers, what do I have to do? And essentially, it was repent. In other words, as the Holy Spirit came and brought me to that point that night, I went from in one instant not knowing anything. To another instant, all of a sudden, the light of the world came into my life. And all of a sudden, I understood tacitly in my heart what had happened to me, even though I didn't understand everything with my brain. You've been there? I'm still there. A lot of the time, to be honest. But all of a sudden, right? All of a sudden. And so 3,000 people are at it that day. All of a sudden, 3,000 people give their lives to, to Christ, to give their lives to Jesus. And, and it's, it's not because of any man's wise words. It's because the Holy Spirit illuminated their heart and, and brought them to that place where they understood their separation from God. I understood how separated I was from God. I could dance around in circles all night and not got what I got in like a millisecond when things happen. See, God is in the business of salvation. He's in the business of, of redeeming the most decrepit of circumstances. You may know people who you feel are the worst, that are so far from God that, that you may hear, be here this morning and you may be saying, you know what, I'm far from God. I just... You know what? In an instant, God can change that. He can say, you know what? I am the answer for your life. And because of time, I can't give you a whole big, long, detailed explanation of salvation. But the bottom line is, is we respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And and if if the message of Jesus Christ resonates with you, we respond to it. and, And we get to fill in the details later as community. The thing about the jews was they thought they were the only ones but peter here peter here in this passage of scripture he says you know you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit but the big departure for them was peter's making an all in everyone statement it's not just for the jews and so three thousand are added and they're happy i'm sure they're happy as terry virgo would say they're a bunch of happy bunnies that morning Right. They're happy. But Peter makes this statement that if you miss it, it's it's easy to miss. You know, he says he says, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all who are far off, for everyone. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13, it says this it says, for the promise, for the promise found in Christ in the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone who's called is part of the promise. Everybody. See, Peter, whether he realized it or not, and we come to find out later in the book of Acts that, that he gets it, but right now he's making a statement that is quite, you know, it's, it's, a, it's quite a powerful statement. It's an all and everyone. It's an all and everyone. It's everybody. It's everybody. Jew and Gentile alike, whether you're Jew or not. And Peter is basically speaking of this experience of the Spirit, which is a fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And the Jews respond to that because just previously... Peter, he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that's what you're seeing. This is that. A friend of mine, Dave Hayward, used to to make t-shirts. And and, uh, he had a hat that I had. And I know Andy will remember this. Andy, you might even have had the hat. I can't remember. Maybe the t-shirt. But it said, this is that. I think I had the hat. I had the shirt. This is, and it was white, this, red is, and a white that. This is that. And it was basically that was all the t-shirt said. So it was great conversations there. What's that? This is that. I'll tell you what this is that is. This is that which was spoken of. That in the last days. So Peter is is basically saying this is the fulfillment of everything that we as a people have been have been saying for for. For hundreds of years. So if we go back to Ezekiel. I love this scripture. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your, uh, from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. So here we are back in Ezekiel. This promise of this new heart. It's like Peter is getting it. This is that. Jeremiah 31 and 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days declares declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Actually, in Ezekiel, in that passage in Ezekiel, and I was just thinking about what John shared, uh, John Ritchie shared this morning. Uh, verse twenty five says, "I will sprinkle you clean. Wa- I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you." How powerful is that? It's like you're not going to have to do this every year temporarily. I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to put it right in you so that it, so that you got it with you all the time. My presence will be with you. This great promise, and then of course the one that Peter referred to out of Joel chapter two, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. We heard that this morning. There were some prophetic words here this morning. This is that, folks. It's the same spirit. He's the same God. He's the same spirit. He's here. Your old men shall dream dreams. I've been dreaming dreams lately, so I guess that's what that means. (laughs) And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. These promises from the Old Testament, we see them coming to fruition. We see them coming to life. See, in point two, we're talking here about the promise given. See, the Old Testament manner by which the Holy Spirit interacted with people was As we've heard many times before, but you have to repeat it. See, the Holy Spirit, He would come on and indwell certain people at certain times for certain purposes. Somebody tell me one Samson. Holy Spirit comes, right? Samson, powerful, He's a judge. Gideon. There's another one. Another one. David, Saul, Moses, Jonah, like go on and on and on, right? So at certain points, God's Spirit comes and indwells certain people for certain fantastic things. That's the Old Testament way. And Andy and I were talking about this last night. Do we really think that the people had any idea of what it would look like when the prophets would say, I'll put, I'll, when God would speak through the prophets and say, I'll put my spirit within you and that, that I'll write the law on your heart. Did they, I wonder, we have the vantage point, as Andy said last night, you know, we have this wonderful vantage point of, of looking back and, 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 and we, can, we can see things and how they were fulfilled, right? But I wonder what it would have been like to walk in their shoes. Do you think they had any concept at all? I think it would be pretty difficult. We've got, we've got riches available to us in our lives because of this fantastic Pentecost powerful experience that has followed the church and has birthed the church. That, that, that we, have this, we have this ability because of God's grace to be able to live in the power of the Spirit with, with His law written on our heart. What really amazes me, you know, You know, here's Peter unpacking this truth, and I think that shouldn't be there. That's probably not supposed to be there. Actually, I think it is. No, it's not. (laughs) See what happens is I copy and paste my slides and I anyway, never mind. But the bottom line is is, is, even in the midst of like if you think about when these prophetic statements were made by in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Joel, what were the people of what were the children of Israel doing? They were rebelling against god they were in they were in captivity they were like things didn't look very good in the midst of bad times. God is giving these promises that he's going he's going to establish this new agreement or this new covenant in the middle of this whole thing where Israel was consistently unfaithful to God. We have this promise of the spirit, and God you know he fulfills he fulfills this this desire that we have for nearness and community god fulfills it in him with with himself you see because god wants to have nearness with us god in 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 history was looking forward to saying you know what i want to be with you everything pointed towards that i want to be intimate with you i want to have a relationship with you that goes beyond us meeting together once a year and us going through the sacrifice. I want to I go beyond that. I want intimacy. I want nearness. And he used that as a type for what was coming. And the hope is, of course, is that the people of Israel would see it. Now, 3,000 of them saw it that day on Pentecost. He desires nearness and intimacy and relationship. I mean, it's an amazing thing, you know, like when you're when you're going through a good time or a bad time, we can we can sense God's nearness in our heart, in our life. There's nothing like it. If you know Jesus, that's the truth. It's an incredible thing. The good thing is it's all found in the person of Jesus. Jesus. It's all found in Him. It's found in Jesus. These promises were pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards that that time when the Messiah would come and He would rescue us and save us from our sin. He would reestablish that which had been lost. John seven thirty seven to thirty nine, and I was quite pleased to hear John Robertson quote this this morning because I thought this is good. We didn't plan this. How many verses are there in the Bible? Anybody know? I don't know. Some of you, some of you geeks know these things. I don't know. Anybody know? I don't know. Thousands. So what's the chances that John would have the same verse? You know what I'm saying? John seven thirty seven Jesus is saying, it's about me, folks. John 14, 26. I don't have it. Oh, I do have it. Look at that. But the helper, he talks later on, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Remember Ezekiel, Jeremiah, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. It's like my spirit's going to do that. When you're walking down the street, have you ever had this impression as the Holy Spirit ever have you ever kind of sensed God speaking to you? That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. He says, I'm with you. He's the one that I I know people that the Holy Spirit has spoken to them about things and they haven't read it in the Bible yet. That makes sense though, doesn't it? Because the Spirit of God is really the Spirit of Jesus. And who's the Word? Jesus. In the beginning, right? Jesus, I'm sure in His mind, in, I'm sure in His mind was thinking of Isaiah in 55 when you know, Isaiah prophesied, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he owes no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money without price it's never ending had that this morning you can eat and you'll never ever go without you can keep coming back you can i mean god's spirit when he pours out his spirit in our lives it's not just a once thing the new testament it's you keep being filled you can come back as many times as you want and we should See, Jesus is referring here in John 7, he's referring to this new and powerful sense of the Holy Spirit's presence that was promised for for the new covenant age, for this new agreement where Jesus was going to make things right. He's saying, you know, referring to this feast that we'll talk about in a second, he's referring, he's saying, this is the type, but I'm really what this is all about. See, what was going on at this time was something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And without going into a lot of detail, because we just don't have the time this morning, you can look it up on your own. This feast, basically, it was, it's a high holy day, and it shuts down the city. So in Jerusalem, everybody's attending, okay? They're all there. And it includes this daily procession from, um, from the temple to the Pool of Siloam. And from that pool, they drew the high priest, or one of the priests, would draw water in a pitcher from that that pool. And then they would take it to the altar. And, I mean, in this circumstance, especially on the last day, this is the one they did for emphasis, the last and greatest day of the feast. They would take the water and they would pour it out. They would pour it out. And this verse would be recited. Isaiah twelve three would be recited. It says, With joy you shall draw from the wells of salvation and the water would be poured out. And the offering of water memorialized God's provision for the thirsty people in the wilderness. Now, I've been in the wilderness. I mean, figuratively and really. About 10 years ago, I, I had occasion to be uh, working in Jordan and I had a chance to spend a few days in Petra. And Petra's smack in the middle of the wilderness. An amazing place. But I'll tell you, you got to have water with you. It's bone dry. There's not a whole lot of vegetation going on. I could show you pictures. I mean, you just say, like, how could anybody live here? Well, two million people traipsed around in circles for 40 years there. Serious. I mean, it's uh, that's the thing that just blew my mind when I was there. Is like, how could... How could like I I envision when you think about the wilderness do you envision like a flat plain and them kind of just going along you know uh uh-uh, it's not like that it's very mountainous and just sheer cliffs and and all that kind of stuff you know and it's it's just not very hospitable ground at all it's not a nice place to be although i was having a great time and uh this provision, memorialize this provision, this water for the thirsty people in the wilderness, but the water had been poured out, and the whole thing is, it leaves them unsatisfied, right? You shall draw from the wells of salvation. So in other words, if you're thirsty, that's good. So you can just imagine the scene. Into this scene, and you can hear a pin drop, and thousands and thousands of people are able to hear, without a microphone, by the way, this scripture being recited for everybody to hear, Jesus, it's not like he's at the back of the room like, excuse me? No. Jesus steps out. Right, He steps out. And he says, if anyone's thirsty! And the whole place, what do you think they did? All the attention is on Jesus. If anyone's thirsty, if Anybody, if anybody, anybody, all, all and anyone, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. He says, come to me. I'm the one that you drink from. I'm the one. I am the vine. You are the branches. It all makes sense. Out of his heart, if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You'll never be parched again. You'll never be parched again. You see, we don't come to a preacher. We don't do that. Because the promise is a person. You know, Jesus was the type... And what we realize is Jesus is the source of life. It's to Jesus that we come. Jesus is the one. You don't come to Gary. I've got nothing. In fact, I am bone dry right now. I'm so thirsty. I mean, physically. But really, I've got nothing to give you. I really don't. But I can tell you one thing. I know someone who can give it to you. I know that Jesus can. And I have faith that if I, or anybody else who knows Him, prays for you, and you pray a prayer say, Jesus, come into my life, change my life, I'm tired of living my life the way I've been living it, I can tell you safely that if you believe, because the Holy Spirit's given you the ability to believe it, He gives you faith so you can have faith that He will rescue your life and when we ask him to fill us with his spirit, he does that too. That's an amazing truth. You see, with the spirit being poured out and with, with everything that occurred on that day that we've read about this morning from Acts chapter 2, everything changes all of a sudden. We move from an extrinsic motivation to follow the law to this internal, intrinsic motivation to the point where we get to follow Jesus. See, because the requirements of the law were fulfilled in Christ. We don't have to try to do anything anymore. But we get to do the stuff. We get to have relationship with him. We get to be with Him. We get to be in line with God's will by the power of the Spirit in our lives. See, Jesus, for us, fulfills all those things. And we've, we've sung about it many times. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We get to sing scriptures. It's theologians call it the great exchange you see this is where your theology has got to breathe you gotta you gotta you gotta have that in your life and say oh yeah like i understand that jesus i don't just understand it in my mind but i understand it in my heart that jesus has has taken what was due me and someone prayed this morning that god you know was pleased it sounds strange but hang with me god was pleased that jesus would receive the wrath for sin and we become righteous in First Corinthians chapter one, it says, Jesus has become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our salvation by the Spirit. Jesus fulfills it all. Jesus does it. So in conclusion, why do we need this anyway? See, because next week we're gonna we're gonna study and not just study, we're gonna put into practice and and understand about the baptism of the Spirit, but give us an opportunity. But we need to think about this. Why do we need to have the Spirit's baptism anyway? What's the point? What's the point of having this filling of the Spirit? Why 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 the need? Very quickly. First of all, gives us a passion for the Trinity, a passion for God, a passion for the Father, a passion for Jesus. A passion for the spirit of God's presence. Don't take your spirit away from me. I love him. Don't take, you know, like what David prayed. We have this new passion. We have a a power for victory over sin. Are there sin patterns in your life? I mean, are there sin patterns in your life that that you just are struggling against and, and you have no recourse? Well, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, gives us victory over sin. I remember somebody asked me years ago. They said, "How do you know you're baptized in the Holy Spirit?" I'll tell you why. And I told them. I said, "Ooh." I told them the exact thing that I, I wasn't struggling with anymore. So I get it. He does that. Gives you power in spiritual warfare. You know, there are some things that we're the authors of. You know, we're the authors of our, authors of our own demise sometimes. But. There are times when, when there are spiritual attack on our life and our families. And, and God gives us grace and hope in the midst of these things. Like, that can only be explained by the presence of God's Spirit. Passion for mission and witness. God can give us a, this newfound passion to be able to, to share the truth and the life of Jesus with other people. It doesn't, it's not some dull rigorum. It's not something you've got to do. Like I say, you get to do it. God in his spirit gives us his gifts. We get intimacy with God. How do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? One of the big indicators that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you have an intimacy with God that you didn't have before. And a new sense of dependence on God's grace. You're not dependent on yourself to make it happen. You're dependent on God's grace. And this is another big one. He gives us a deliverance from fear. You don't have to fear. You don't have to walk through life afraid of losing your independence. You don't have to walk through life afraid of the next thing that's coming around the corner. You don't have to be afraid of the fact you might lose your job. You don't have to be afraid about going into a marriage perhaps and was a, how am I going to do this? God can give us His grace. It's amazing. All of this. All of this originates from promises fulfilled on Pentecost. All of this. Powerful stuff. Amazing. God is faithful.